Oh, London, England, Islington Assembly Hall. Let's fucking go. Uh, all right. So, like I said, in, in, in the first act, we talked a little bit about, you know, England as a country, our experience here, and some of the uh, just, you know, uh, fish-faced freaks that are... Uh, contending for the Tory leadership. But, you know, a big part of our show is, of course, making fun of uh, figures in the media. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Thanks, man. That's a, a, a Tory mum's recipe for the perfect <laughs> British society. <laughs> uh, Just a dash of PCP, love. <laughs> Uh, but of course, like you know, uh, the media is also an, an, another big part of what we do and talk about. And I've, I've mentioned it on the show before. Uh, the UK has a uniquely diseased media culture that honestly makes ours look good. Well, no, no, no. no, no. Let's be clear here. Uh, ours is stupider. Yours is way more evil. And also, apparently, one third of your GDP is Guardian op-ed writers. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The ma- the main how is that economically sustainable? The main difference between the two places is like, you know, our our old people never get to quit Walmart. They just fucking die on their feet there. Mm-hmm. Whereas for you guys, that's the news. They just work at the news till they die for some reason. No, but Amber's point is exactly right. Like the some of them are evil, but like the average American journalist, largely due to the film All the President's Men. Think, think they're the good guys. Whereas the average British journalist, maybe it's like they're more self-aware, but the fact of the matter is they know they're evil, they know what they do is evil, and they won't stop doing it because they like being evil. So I, I selected for you, we, you know, we, have, we have a hard out at 11.25, so I'm going to try to do all of these guys. Um, there's, there's a lot to get through. This is by no means comprehensive. I cannot possibly get through all of the absolute slugs that, you know, festoon the corpse of this country. There's too many. You replaced the mining industry with op-ed writers. So like, these are just, just a few, a mere sampling of, of the people that, that have sort of pierced the membrane of my consciousness from all the way across the Atlantic and uh, perturbed me just even to this day. So let's begin our countdown with, let's bring that first guy up, Nick Cohen. Nick Cohen. Okay, what can I say about this guy other than, what can I say about Nick Cohen other than I've met him before? I've met him before at my house. In fact, he's there right now. Uh, Nick, this uh, picture is going to go on all your articles. Can you just eat every single thing you're allergic to? (laughs) I don't care for how the eyes follow you. Seriously, do you people like chew polonium for recreation? Why do they look like this? Just taking a quick chemotherapy bath before my author photo. He doesn't actually have cancer, right? Like... I hope not. But uh, uh, Nick, Nick Cohen is sort of the template for like almost all of these guys because he is a, you know, uh, he, like, here's a perfect example. Uh, he wrote a, a, an article for The Guardian called 10 Years On, The Case for Invading Iraq is Still Valid. <laughs> he's a guy, 
he's a guy who has been wrong about everything his entire career, and the more wrong he gets, like the more powerful he gets. Is he absorbs the energy and just spits it back out in an even smugger way. He's dark Paul Mason. Absolutely. And it's just I like and now he has become just like a textbook anti Jeremy Corbyn hysteric who has just, you know, pushed all his chips in on this like Jeremy Corbyn is an anti Semite stuff. Which is you know what, like I'm not gonna comment too much on that. I know how I feel. This is your country, you can figure it out for yourself. But Good fucking luck. <laughs> <laughs> but all I'll say is just consider who's telling you that Jeremy Corbyn is anti Semitic. For instance, Nick Cohen writes for an outfit called The Spectator, which features op-eds by a guy named George Tacky. Uh, Today, of course, is the anniversary of the Normandy invasion. I'm not bullshitting you. Spectator ran a column by Tacky called D-Day. Let's take a look at the other side. In which... In which he argued... He said, don't believe the hype... The real heroes of D-Day were the guys in the pillboxes. That is a spicy take. I will give him that. I mean, okay, I I would say that the real heroes were the guard tower followers. On this Jeremy Corbyn thing, I have to admit I'm a bit confused. I'm not certain why all of these people are saying Jeremy Corbyn is an anti-Semite. Is it because he wants the trains to work? Well, we're never playing France or Germany ever again. So, Nick Cohen, again, like, even next to Robert Blake, I don't know which one is which, or who's killed more people in real life. Parody. Robert Blake actually did kill someone in real life. All right. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly, by the judge. Allegedly. I mean, he was acquitted in the court of law, so you'll be seeing his attorneys. (laughs) Well, it's an open question, is what I'm saying. So, let's see. Is, is there someone else, though, who's maybe, like, a little bit less grotesque than Nick Cohen that I could look at right now? Let's see who we got here. Oh, no. Oh, wait, no. Oh, wait, no. It's actually, it's actually much, much worse. I thought we left the sexy times behind in Berlin. You're, this is the beginning of a pattern here. Um... Every British pundit who's a man poses nude at one point in their life. Yeah, this is, this is a huge thing over here. In America, when we have a guy who's like, uh, the whoa, you can't say that guy, their default photo shoot is them with duct tape over their mouth, and they're like, oh, what the hell am I going to say next? <laughs> but here, your thing for those guys is like, yeah, just show us your cock, dude. <laughs> My favorite thing about Toby Young, though, I mean, like, for, okay, like he, he sort of fits into the template. It's similar to Nick Cohen in that, I guess it's like a classic British thing, but it's also a classic posting, like, online Twitter guy thing of thinking that when literally everyone around you, friends, relatives, and complete strangers, thinks, calls you a fucking wanker and a complete asshole, and everyone hates you, it means that you must be doing something right, because you're so smart that everybody can't stand to be around you. And in fact, it's actually a form of persecution to be loathed by everyone. My favorite thing about Toby Young, though, is for some fucking reason, you put this fucking Muppet in charge of your schools... 
he was put in some sort of like educational czar ministry position to enforce sort of standards, meritocratic standards against encroaching, uh, you know, PC, uh, lackadaisical attitudes. Well, they removed him, though, because this was taken in a school library. (laughs) (laughs) You do have a problem with that over here. So he's and now he's currently the British editor of Quillet, which is another unbearable fucking. Just there's too many magazines, too many magazines. Let's get rid of a couple. New uh, rule. New rule. <laughs> but uh, no, what I love is like he's enforcing meritocratic standards in education, despite the fact that he's a fucking dunce whose dad got him into university with a phone call. This is just on his Wikipedia page. It just said here. Uh, uh, Young was educated at Creighton School, now Fortismere School. Muswell yeah, when a school has to change its name, it's not a good sign. <laughs> Muswell Hill and King Edward VI Community College, Totnes. He left school at 16, having failed all but uh, one of his O-levels. And a C oh, no, a- he failed his O-levels. <laughs> we don't know what any of these words mean at all. No, what he, about he, his Q-levels? He failed his uh, test about the band uh, O-Town. <laughs> Young claims he, uh, he got into uh, Oxford College, Oxford University, uh, Brass Nose College. Fuck this stupid <laughs> name. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah we're going to go through that entire out. paragraph. Yeah. Oh, he failed his Dragoon exam. What a <laughs> fucking moron. I think it's great that everything in England is named after, named by an a inbred man dying of a stroke. I think that's cool. So it says here, Young claims he was sent an acceptance letter by mistake, as well as a letter of rejection from the admissions tutor, Harry Judge. In an article he wrote, again, for The Spectator, he stated that his father phoned Judge to clarify the situation. Who the, what, is, what, is this, what is this, Felicity Huffman? Lori Laughlin again? They're, just steal, they're stealing education over here. But hilariously, he lost his job as education and meritocratic meritocratic educations are when it came out that he attended a secret conference of eugenics uh, believers and supporters. Yeah, when he wasn't even invited to the cabinet (laughs) meeting. (laughs) Mostly surprising that they ever keep it secret. (laughs) He wrote an article for an Australian magazine called Quadrant in which he advocated (laughs) for brain quadrants. In which he advocated for what he termed progressive eugenics. He proposed that when the technology for genetically engineered intelligence is practical, it should be allowable. It's like, he's just like, please make me smart, science. (laughs) Here's my favorite part about Toby Young, though. He was was a member of an exclusive London club called the Groucho Club. And then got kicked out of it when he bragged to everyone that all they do is sniff blow. It was he like the whole the part of being in this secret, depraved club is that you don't just tell everyone that you're in it and you're just sniffing K and Coke and fucking doing God knows what else. Well, he didn't want to be a member of the Groucho Club because they wanted him as a member. <laughs> Woo! Riff of the week. Amazon gift card goes to Virgil, Texas. And then also my favorite thing, um, he, wrote, he wrote another article for The Spectator about after he like, lost all of his jobs, no one invites him to Christmas anymore. And he's just saying, usually my schedule is chalked with nativity plays and caroling, but this year I've gotten not a single invitation. Oh, poor Toby. No Christmas for John Quay. Junkies. I just still, though, how do you let your, like, messy bitch fucking Facebook post go up in a major newspaper? What is publishing in this country? 
I mean, like, most Facebook disputes are way more interesting than this. No one stole each other's headphones. No one, you know, at least raises their damn kids. This is just like he's he wants to go wassailing. This fucking sucks. <laughs> so that's oh, uh, and also Matt, what was the Toby Young connection to America? Yeah, well, the only thing I know about him is that he was a judge for one season of Top Chef in the right, United right, States. Right, right, right. Because the British are, are are known for their cuisine. Exactly. Uh, because they needed a guy who was going to like deliver spicy comedy takes because Anthony Bourdain... Because the British are so spicy. Exactly. They stopped. He was stopping being honest, so they needed somebody to fill the space of doing hilarious comedy uh, critiques. And he was eating a dish, and he says, This escarole is quite spicy. You might even call it Pablo escarole. Oh. And, then and like, he's got like 15 him. veins popping in his forehead... Just sweating bullets on how hard he worked on that, and just nothing. And then they fired him at the end of the season, and he said, Americans just cannot understand dry British humor. <laughs> Not, dude, you sucked. Shut the fuck up. Well, the thing is, Asia Argento dated Anthony Bourdain because she thought he was Toby Young, erroneously. <laughs> Damn it, she gave her hex to the wrong guy. <laughs> Allegedly. Parody. Actually, I don't know what Italian libel laws are. I mean, I don't think they don't even so. really have you regular laws. You can't sue someone for saying that they magically bewitched their fucking uh, partner. Come on. You don't know how the laws work here. Yeah. Spectral evidence is not no longer allowed in British courts of law. <laughs> Matt will represent all of us when we are all fucking sued by every single person that we've talked about tonight. Oh, uh, I don't want to go to a cold court. I'm already going to cigarette court. <laughs> Next up on the countdown, Dan Hodges. Another Why are they all nude? What is wrong with you people? Man, what the fuck? Dan Hodges is... As an- white as the cliffs of Dover, that one. <laughs> Christ. I have a hard enough time just having Will fucking read me David Brooks columns. If every column came with a picture of him nude on a bearskin rug, I'd fucking blow my brains out. Dan Hodges is a, another pure anti-Corbin hysteric who self-describes as, quote, a tribal neo-Blairite. You know, I, you know I, tribalism is a big problem in our politics these days. I think there's too much of it. But honestly, he's done, a, he's done a lot of shitty things. Like, he you know, tried to get uh, Glenn Greenwald's husband arrested when he came to the UK. But honestly, the m- most damning indictment of Dan Hodges that I can possibly give is that he still has the triple parentheses around his Twitter display name uh. in 2019. <laughs> that is the journalistic equivalent of still saying crunk. <laughs> Yeah, he's very jiggy with it. Yeah, cool, man. I didn't know it was still 2016. So, yeah, he writes columns like, Is the Labor Party's problem with racism beyond repair? <sighs> the anti Semitism row in Oxford is not an aberration. It's just what modern Labor Party looks like. That's pretty boring. Uh, the only interesting fact I found out about him, uh, Virgil, you'll like this. He is also a war game designer. <sighs> His first game design was something called Where There Is Discord, War in the South Atlantic, which was an RPG about the Falklands. 
Yes, I am a fan of war games, and as Felix likes to make fun of me because I play for 12 hours at a time a game where you stare at a static map. And yes, I have, I have played Battle for the South Atlantic for about 300 hours, and I can say that the community is very toxic. <laughs> Mom, Mom says it's my turn to play as Vidalia. <laughs> Well, I like to think about like the uh, the the you know uh, turn-based strategy game Falklands War. It's just like whoever decides to be England is going to win. It's like n- not really fair here the rules of this game. So that is Dan Hodges. Okay, the next guy. Before we go, I gotta say the next guy. Literally every time I see his face, I know I'm going to have a bad day. So I'm doing this for you now. Let's go to him, Niall Ferguson. <laughs> Uh, look at him smolder. Niall Ferguson. Okay. I really hate to make this comparison. Maybe it's too easy. But you know what? We were just in Berlin. We started the tour in Germany. So here's what I'll say about Niall Ferguson. Say what you will about the Germans, but at <laughs> least they feel bad about what they did. <laughs> Whereas, I'm sorry to say, over here, you're churning out people like Niall Ferguson, who writes book after book about how literally every fucking thing that the British Empire did was all completely good and justified, because if we didn't do it, someone else would have. So he's not just an apologist and celebrator of every single imperial massacre carried out in history, the fucking worst part about him is that you've exported him to America, where he currently does the same thing over here, sucking off Henry Kissinger's dead dick at Harvard. And because we're idiots, we're like, listen to his accent. He sounds so intelligent. Niall uh, Niall Ferguson, misspelled Nigel, by the way, stupid fucking moron. (laughs) Second... Not uh, name. Two-timer now, because he was on the list at our Worst of Harvard show. Yeah, he was on the list as a guest. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we don't agree with him all the time, but, you know, uh, friends are friends at the end of the show. (laughs) New by us in Quillette. I do love people who, who have the temerity to be wistful for the British Empire it's like you, you were able to accumulate all of this ill-gotten wealth from all the exploited countries of the world, and then you didn't get to have the empire anymore, but you got to keep all the shit. Mm-hmm. But then you're going to complain about it. It's like if the cop showed up at Jeffrey Dahmer's house and said, look, you can't eat people anymore, but you can finish all the heads in your fridge. <laughs> and then you're eating a guy's head going like, God damn it, I used to be able to get all the fucking heads I wanted. This is bullshit. The, the, no, British, the British Museum is mostly clutter. They could lose 85% of it, and they would still have a huge museum. No, the British Museum is basically a fucking uh, Texas Chainsaw family's house. Now, the, the Brits are the best because they're like the boomers of the world. <laughs> like, they just show it. All these applause lines, I feel like the white Bill Maher tonight. Uh, <laughs> no, you just... You just showed up in other countries, like, high on opium, and you were just like, all right, I needed all these 11-year-olds in my tent yesterday to stomp on my asshole. Come on, let's get going. I need to build a bridge that will get 40% of your male population killed in pre-construction. Can seven of you die so I can send a pigeon letter to a guy I don't even like that much back in England? And then, you know, at the end of it, you're like... Why don't other people do this? I feel like there's a bit of hope, though. 
Uh, about about the future uh, memory of British imperialism. Today, we uh, I was at near Westminster, and there's that square of statues of assholes, and there's a big fucking not literally big uh, uh, bird shit covered statue of Churchill hunched over in his coat. I took a picture of it. I put it on Instagram, and I think like four people said, "Is that Thanos?" So hopefully, in about 100 years, people think that Thanos led the British Empire through World War II. Much like Thanos, uh, Winston Churchill snapped his fingers and half of the Bengali population died. (laughs) So we can go on and on about all of uh, Nigel Ferguson's Atrocious apologism for all the worst excesses of uh, empire. I'll just read one thing he says he, written, he wrote here. This is from one of his books. If it hadn't been the British, it might have been someone worse, he says. In any case, empires, empires have been with us as a means of power and control for centuries and centuries. So you might as well cast a moral judgment on reign as the British empire. Imagine, imagine if I had said that like about everything Stalin did. Well, it's just like gravity, and actually you don't have to imagine it because I am saying it right now. <laughs> you, 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 gotta, you gotta mention the first wife, though. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, I was going to say, I can go on because and on. Because not only is a, he a wonderful statesman, he's a family man. Yeah, no, he, uh, he starred in The English Family Guy. He was Peter Griffin. <laughs> Like I said, I can go on and on about all of his horrible apologism, but here is the only really important thing you need to know about Nigel Ferguson. He left his wife after she fell off a horse. <laughs> not a joke, not making Wait, it up. What are, you, are you supposed to stay with your wife after she falls off a horse? <laughs> My goodness, she what will the neighbors a, think? She went into a coma for like not a very long time, and she woke up and he was gone. So I and her say, Ali, better not take any long naps. She uh, basically had a headache and uh, woke up after two and a half hours, and he said, uh, oh, I found someone else. Yep. British, British marriages are great. You people pull the plug on each other for colds. Parody, no. parody. <laughs> I don't want to be sued by the British Marriage Council. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is from uh, uh, the Daily Mail. This is from uh, Nigel's ex-wife, Sue Douglas, in an article titled, Horses Saved My Soul. <laughs> She lost her career, her famous husband, and almost her life. But one thing helped Sue Douglas put her life in perspective. Also the name of Matt's op-ed after I showed him BoJack Horseman and it changed his life. It's okay to feel sad sometimes. So she describes this, uh, this horse as she goes, And then it happened. I had a really bad riding accident. It took place on a beach. While I was out riding alone with my dogs by the sea. Jesus, fuck. It's just, I'm sorry. This is the most British woman ever (laughs) to exist. While I was out riding alone with my dogs by the sea, suddenly my silky pair of ears reared. Is she talking about her ears? or? Oh, no. Uh, Went right over backwards and rolled on my head, causing a small midbrain hemorrhage. And that might have been that. I woke up in hospital and only remember events two months later. I lost my job, and my husband told me he was having an affair and wanted to leave me. He left, then came back, then left again, and then my father died. Suddenly, I had no money at all. Imagine being in a coma for two months. You wake up, and your husband is just like, yeah, so I've met someone new, and uh, in the time you were out, uh, luckily I've moved all my stuff out, so it won't be, we won't have any messy breakup period. Bye, anyway. Uh, look, look we, we just grew apart, okay? <laughs> yeah, you were very distant these last two months. 
I mean, I, I, I enjoy a Kinda nice... Kind of cold, frankly. I, I, I enjoy a nice uh, bangers and mash, and you insist on taking all of your food intravenously. <laughs> and, here's, and also, here's the worst part. Nigel met his current wife, Ayan Hirsi Ali, at the time 100 Most Important People World Events Gala Dinner. Ugh. Man, imagine if like they, there was a forced breeding program for everybody there. Well, that's, a, that's what Toby Young and Quadrant supports. Yeah. <laughs> Solve all the world's problems. So that is, yeah, that's that's Nigel. That's not. Uh, that make, we're making plans for Nigel right here. I can't say them because of the libel laws. <laughs> all right, let's go to the next one. Just the Guardian. All of them. All of it. Retire it. <laughs> You know, euthanize it. We can't just come up here and roast the Tories and all of your right wing ghouls because, you know, the Guardian is out there and it just stands as a testament to like, you could not invent a better parody of like contemporary bird brain liberals than the fucking Guardian. So, all right, let's just go through a couple. I mean, comment is free, folks. Uh, you know what? Comment might be free, uh, still too expensive for me, folks. Sorry. I'm just going to go through a couple just amazing just Guardian headlines from these op-ed pieces. First one, I stopped going to the gym because of Trump. Now I can't open jars. (laughs) (laughs) Next is, uh, George Osborne ruined my yoga retreat. (laughs) Happened to me too. Next up, why I refuse to make friends with my vagina. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've heard bad well, things you know about what? that pussy. There are two sides to everything, and maybe your vagina's a bitch, too. There's a lot of fake friends, a lot of fake vaginas out there. Can't trust them. Man, this vulva shit funny to me. <laughs> Next up, my goofy online yoga teacher has indoctrinated me into her cult. You know that thing that happens. This is, uh, this is, re- this is relatable content. Yeah, that one's, that one's actually kind of reasonable, Will. I, I don't think we should make fun of people who suffer that sort of thing happening. Okay, this may be my favorite. My pet tortoise is wrecking my career. And the funny thing is, that's same the same chick. woman as the one who did, didn't, doesn't like her vagina. I think... I think, this, I think she's got a good uh, stand-up career here, you know? She, she could be sort of a Jeff Foxworthy of Britain. She could be like... If you're closer friends with your tortoise than your vagina, you might ride for comment is free. <laughs> I like I like comment is free because it shows how many media jobs are in Britain. Like it just the concept of it is that you hired everyone who would have joined and killed themselves in Heaven's Gate. <laughs> you really need to bring back the satanic mills. It's more humane than this shit. <laughs> I was just thinking now, like, my pet tortoise is wrecking my career. Does she have one of those Galapagos tortoises in her apartment? It's eating all my lettuce. I don't know what to do. No, that's every comment is for your uh, writer is just being bullied by an exotic pet. <laughs> I can't write my column. The Komodo dragon is taking over my office. <laughs> they just wake up being pecked by a peacock. Oh, God, this next one is actually even more animal violence. All right, next one. This one, headline, Britain has spoken and chosen a vicious murdering bully as its national bird. (laughs) Subhead, the robin is brutish, ruthless, and ready to rock. 
Could it be that over gentler contenders we have plumped for the bird that we deserve? He's talking about a fucking robin. What the? Are the robins over here like... No, uh, they're English robins. They're even smaller and fatter and cuter. They're like little Beatrix Potter dreams. In America, robins are like chickens and they'll fucking cut you. I, I mean, if your blood didn't clot, you would be afraid of anything with a beak. <laughs> That's probably why British sailors killed the dodo. They were just going around the world keeping British aristocrats safe from all birds. <laughs> okay. This last one is uh, maybe a deep cut for me. Like, maybe you guys are aware of this guy. But for me, this is a deep cut because I swear to God, I have kept these two articles and this character in my back pocket for probably three years now. I don't know why I've remembered this as much as I have, but I'm premiering them here for you tonight in London, England. This is a guy who coincidentally also writes for The Spectator, and he looks like his actual face is more distorted and grotesque than the little caricatures that they use as like the sort of column heads. So here it goes. Let's bring him up here. James Dellingpole. Another nude man! Why is he naked? Is it because the only light view people get is from a fucking camera flash bulb? This is a cheap way of inspiring a Beatlemania type reaction from the crowd. Seriously, what the fuck is going on with you people? Is the fucking National Cuisine gas leak? This picture of him there, and it, it, it looks like, like the British Wendigo. He looks like a mythical creature or something. And then this other one, I don't even... I, I don't I'm know just really he, glad that Crazy Frog joined the army. <laughs> All right, let, let's... Let, is someone just yelling cunt at the stage? Okay, this, the first one is Dellingpole writing in the, spe, in the Spectator. Headline, Prince Bored Me Rigid. He's talking about the musician Prince. Prince Bored Me Rigid. I mean, again, British people, because you not just keep telling us how hard you get about corpses. Cunts? Welcome to Riff City. (laughs) (laughs) The weirdo... Okay, subhead. The weirdo recluse pop genius was a girl's idea of what rock music ought to sound like. An act of debauched sexual communion. Yeah, that sucks. (laughs) That's terrible. So he goes on here to say... I saw Prince play once. I was bored rigid, but couldn't mention this to the girls I'd gone with. Gone with or followed? The girls I hovered over. (laughs) Smelled their hair. As far as they were concerned, watching the purple sex dwarf masturbating with and filleting his guitar and generally getting off on his sublime pixiness was like experiencing the second coming. Me, I could have done with a few more tunes. He couldn't give them a first coming. And he goes on here saying, and yes, of course, Prince was very androgynous and bisexual and uh, gender fluid. At the time, I found this quite creepy and sinister and pervy. Well, it was, wasn't it? Prince was a lech who just oozed sex, which was fine if you fancied him, but less so otherwise. You're not allowed to say that anymore. 
And then Basically, he goes I think we figured out that he went to a Prince concert. Prince fucked the girl he was trying to fuck, and it's the most formative experience of his entire life. Well, again, he, he compares Prince unfavorably in his sort of like androgynous gender fluidity to Led Zeppelin. Ah, you know, yes. the, the, the cool rock band. Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin is so fucking alpha taking all the parts from Lord of the Rings where they feed each other bread and sing songs to each other <laughs> and making it rock. Yeah, Robert Plant and his Shirley Templer, Temple curls. Robert Plant walked out there wearing a fucking alpha male blouse. <laughs> so, all right, that, that's the setup. Is Delling Paul talking about how disgusted he was by all of uh, Prince's androgyny and the way he just sort of oozed sex and had a, a kind of like, you know, yeah, cross gender? The fact that he appealed to girls as a rock musician really disturbs him. That's the setup. Here's the, here's the punchline. Here's the follow through. James Delling Paul, again, different article, writing in The Spectator, headline I love that people assume I'm gay. <laughs> writing here, he says, At a birthday dinner over the weekend, I was introduced to this delightful party girl of a certain age whose diet for the evening consisted of chips and Grey Goose vodka on the rocks with lime. She launched straight into the praises of this marvelous gay couple she knew in the area who were mad keen on hunting, kept getting injured but didn't care, and who she was sure I'd get on with like a house on fire. They did indeed sound like my kind of people, but it was only later, after my new friend had had a few more, and she expressed that she expressed surprise at the existence of my wife across the table. Then she fast up. I had no idea you weren't gay. Those clothes, your manner, that gaunt look. <laughs> oh, I don't know like what this woman thinks a gay guy is. All right, she just how, many, how many slender men do you have in this country? We only got the fucking one. He goes here. I didn't mind, obviously. In fact, I totally love the idea that people still assume I'm gay after all these years because it means I haven't totally lost my fashion edge. Girls will let me watch them change. That was, that was the original title of uh, Still Dre, Still Gay After All These Years. <laughs> At home, I'm a terrible scruff, filthy jeans, t-shirt, but I do very much still like dressing up on occasion, be it the splendid rat catcher outfit, and I got an excuse to wear out cubbing the other day. And you can't see, but like uh, the whole picture, he just has a bunch of feathers sticking out of his ass. And he goes, or the mauve Paul Smith trousers, floral Liberty shirt, and Emma Hope pony skin booties I wore the other day for a TV encounter with Vivienne Westwood. (laughs) He closes the paragraph by saying, once a fashion whore, always a fashion whore. Well, James, if you're selling, I'm buying. I'm sorry, and I mean no disrespect, but after hearing all of this, I have no idea why Jez is trying to save this place. <laughs> Frankly, you don't deserve him. You know, we, you know, we just spent a few days in Berlin, and uh, it seems to me that Jez could apply for asylum there, and, you know, he could get a flat for 200 euros, which he would still, everyone still complains about the price of uh, fucking rent there, which is adorable to me, and get a fucking gorgeous place with 90-foot-high ceilings and a nice little garden in the back. He could, uh, you know, take his book of uh, manhole covers to Kit Kat Club and show it to people <laughs> on ecstasy, and everyone would have a great time. He could, he could have a wonderful he could, he rest could of his spin, life. He uh, could spin platters under the name DJ Tesco. Oh, adorable. <laughs> I... 
after my journey here and learning about your land, I wish I could go back in time and build a ship for Genghis Khan and give him a map to this fucking place. What's weird to me is all these people who are like, oh, oh London's not London anymore. Defend London. When it's like, you, you realize you, are just a mi- you were just a minor imperial outpost of the Roman Empire. I got to say, though, to close out, though, I mean, like, I hope, I hope you guys are aware, like, how much better Jez is than fucking Bernie Sanders. Like, you guys, you guys are lucky. You guys, we'll you no guys, you guys are lucky. We will hear no shade on Bernie, but was, yes. No, you take good care of him. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. If you hurt him, we will come for you. I mean, he's no John Hickenlooper. But... <laughs> <laughs> Who is? Okay. London, England. Islington Assembly Hall. You guys have been awesome tonight. London, England, you guys kick ass. Thank you so much. We are Chapo Trap House. Good night, everybody. Good night. (laughs) Let's fucking go, Manchester. Uh, I was going to start out the show by saying, Manchester, it's really awesome to be here, uh, but we just saw a parade of nude cyclists. We were just... It was incredibly upsetting. It was. It, it's also so cold. You're gonna get. I thought the one in all your English folds. I thought the one redeeming feature of the English is they never got naked. What the fuck? I was well, lied to. It was kind of educational, though. I saw uh, ginger pubic hair for the first time. Uh, you know, like I guess it was a misapprehension that uh, the English never are never nudes. Because what we realized researching British pundits is that they all, all pose nude all the time. Yeah, they love getting naked. It's horrifying. There's that woman who keeps showing up to Parliament naked for the Remain vote or something. Yes. It's never the ones you want. Well, they, they get naked in a different way than us. Um, America is the country of taking your shirt off to signify that you're going to fight. But here, you have to keep it on because it's armor for a stabbing. And then all the other times you get naked, it's a statement. So, like, if you're a columnist, it's like, I'm so crazy, the clothes can't even contain my opinions. Uh, and if you're those guys, it's like, you know... It's, I like, it's very late 90s. It's like, oh, what would you do if you saw a naked guy? that freak you out? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, like I said, the, the other night we performed uh, in London, and uh, two of the people that we discussed were, and disgusted by, were uh, spectator columnists Toby Young and James Dellingpole. Okay? Yeah. No, yeah, we like them too. Oh, thank you. Thank you for this, by the way. Um, but little did, little did I know that on the very same night that we were performing in London, there was another political-style comedy show taking place that very same night, attended by the very people we were talking about, Toby Young and James Dellingball. What? Would you believe? And we performed like idiots instead of going? Right. Yeah, Dellingball... I mean, too. It's a competing event. We have very similar audiences. Yeah, Dellingpole came out in the Eddie Murphy raw leather suit. <laughs> Toby Young would look really good in a Steve Harvey quadruple-breasted blazer. So this was, uh, you know, obviously, like, the political comedy we do is, you know, it's very safe. It's very, 
sort of oriented towards feelings and, we, and being nice to people. We like to pull a lot of punches. Yeah, yeah, we love sacred cows too. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, no, we, we, like, we like keeping them sacred. Yeah, yeah, it's that, that's why they're fucking sacred for Christ's sake. Leave them alone. But you know, the, bars we're holding all of them. <laughs> but you know, the, there's another comedy tradition that was you know on display at this competing event, and that was comedy that's that's unsafe. What? You what? Know? Comedy. Wait a minute. That, wait a minute. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> Why would you want to go see comedy that's dangerous? <laughs> I thought I thought that the PC police had stamped that out years ago. I mean, you know, I live in constant fear of the PC police, but there are still some brave few who are willing to risk, you know, arrest and censor by these jackbooted, uh, you know, thugs. My God. And, Heroes you know, still walk among us. And this was, you know, and there, there was an account of this. This is... Uh, Inside London's free speech comedy night. And, uh, okay. How many of y'all like free speech? <laughs> yeah. We, Damn, tough crowd. <laughs> free speech hating crowd here. Well, you came I, to the right place. As I would expect, yeah. So, uh, I'd, I'd like to, you know, just read from an, an account of the, uh, the free speech comedy night. I'm going to share it with you guys. But, you know, uh, warning, though. Like, you know, you may get offended by how funny some of this material is. So it says here, you know, in a te- uh, so it says here, this is not a safe space. If oh, you- no. <laughs> oh, I came to the wrong place. Feel free to leave if you want, okay? This is just for, for self-care purposes. So this is not a safe space. If you have come here and you're going to get offended, fuck off, said... <laughs> Woo! Fuck. Well, that's, that's just rude. Using the F word in a comedy show? Uh, said Francis Foster at Comedy Unleashed, a monthly event that describes itself as London's only free-thinking comedy night. We were in a bar in uh, Bethnal Green. The audience, about 100 people. Give it up for <laughs> Bethnal Green, baby. Ooh, get fucked, pussy. <laughs> Wait a minute, really? 100 people? That's adorable. 100 people? Uh, most men, mostly men, including a handful of right-wing notables. I could see Paul Joseph Watson <laughs> sitting appearing, in the front. Appearing via Skype, correct? <laughs> Was that? Appearing via Skype, correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine him leaving his house. Well, Bethnal Green is actually a no-go zone. So. Uh, yeah, Paul, Paul Joseph Watson, prison Paul, sitting in the front. Uh, Dan Jukes, Nigel Farage's press officer near him. Toby Young, the perpetually disgraced journalist, perched at the back. And James Dellingpole, a human stick insect and executive editor at Breitbart behind me. Comedy Unleashed was co-founded by Andrew Doyle, who co-writes the satirical broadcast character Jonathan Pye. Get the fuck out of Jonathan Pye, that's the comedy character? Jonathan Pog, what? <laughs> Jonathan <laughs> I heard Pog. <laughs> Jonathan Pye. Yeah, Jonathan Pye is one of those like right wing comedy characters where like the, he'll be like, "Yeah, I'm a fucking pussy who sucks." That's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the liberal who's gay. <laughs> Damn, dude, fucking you went in. Writing and spiked. Doyle claims that he established the night to counter what he perceives as the fashion for wokeness in the comedy scene. Left-leaning comics who are inoffensive, inclusive, and socially conscious. Stand-up, he contends, has lost its bite. 
A truly alternative comedy scene would involve a degree of risk-taking. Here's an example of that. So here's some crowd work. Uh, Foster asks uh, to someone in the crowd, what do you do, Ian? Uh, I'm, I, I'm a teacher. What do you teach? Psychology. So, not a proper teacher then. <laughs> Woo! Fucking roasted! Oh my god! This is, this is like seeing Pryor in 76. My Wait, god. Th- that's a thing you can teach, I'm pretty sure. I don't get I'm pretty sure psychology is a real academic discipline. Yeah. It's like I a mean, science. Like, like, they, like, aren't they always bitching about that? That like <laughs> they want people teaching STEM or whatever? Or is that just a different type of boring guy? Well, what I love about the setup to that joke is he's like, he had the punchline set, but he was just like, oh, please say gender studies. Please yeah. say gender yeah, studies. Yeah, They're yeah. like, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an experimental physicist. Uh, oh, so not a not a real mathematician yeah. then. That's the uh... so so. What do you do? Oh, I'm a I'm an electrician. Oh, at the fucking gay pussy store. <laughs> Got you, dude. So uh, here here's some more here's some more humor style uh, comedy. <sighs> it's now possible to give someone a full face transplant. Incredible. Apparently, it's not appropriate as an anniversary gift, though. <laughs> hey, oh hey, 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 everybody in my All wife's right. an ugly bitch. Oh, uh, this, this that is groundbreaking. This rules. This is like, this is very edgy in 1941. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He, uh, the, he, does he just have a great middle set about going to the racetracks? They're going to get sued crazy. by Hemi Youngman. <laughs> no, yeah, like... Uh, that, yeah, that's what they mean by unsafe. Just copyright infringement <laughs> on all of, all of vaudeville. So just says, playing uh, old episodes of The Honeymooners for the crowd. <laughs> this shit is fucking so a, terrible. So it's like, uh, all these guys are performing in front of a banner that declared without irony, no self-censorship. If it's funny, it's funny. And then I'm imagining someone just came out with a little ukulele and did, hello, my baby, hello, my (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to free speech comedy night. We don't give a fuck. Have you tried my wife's cooking? (laughs) So it says here, uh, also featured was uh, Hayden Prose, a self-described liberal centrist, and one no. half of the BBC's The Revolution will be televised. No. Wait, it's, it's a good I show, know, right? That sounds kind oh, of bad. Cool. I don't know. Oh, is that one of your shows where just like four gross guys coughing at each other? <laughs> the panel shows? That shit's fucking dope. So, the adjustment in VAT tax, the adjustment in Article 50. <laughs> it's all of the... Just fu- and they... I don't know when the jokes begin and end, so that guy's perfect for fucking free speech comedy night. Shit fucking slaps. <laughs> so, Hayden Prose was there to fulfill Doyle's claim that they host comedians from both the left and the right of the spectrum, but it was his anti-labor joke in which he said, in labor is a multiple Brexit verse theory. All possible permutations of Brexit coexist at once, the only constant being that the Jews are to blame to everything. <laughs> oh yeah, this I'm is quoting a, him. What okay, amazing joke. This is this is like this, this is, is the best amazing like joke writing. Yeah, this is the best like free speech. You know, we don't give a fuck. Fuck your safe space comedy, the kind where it's like, yeah, we don't give a fuck about anything. If you're offended, go somewhere else and take your blankie with you, pussy. And if you say one thing about Israel, oh my, <laughs> there. 
It's the only thing we have. So that line about uh, the Jews are to blame for everything. I mean, who is he? Jack the Ripper? What the fuck? (laughs) That drew the biggest reaction. Cheers, laughter, and all-around applause uh, of a hundred people. Some some clapping uh, also followed Lawrence's riff about his wife getting a job for the Royal Mail. What's she called? A postman? Post lady? Post person? I just call her a bad mother. Again, this is more like... (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Came out of nowhere. Holy shit. It sounds like this is just like, it's not a safe space for these people's specific wives. (laughs) Like, if you're married to any of these guys, do not come to this. These like just like a men's rights group. (laughs) These aren't even joke. Like, at least the vaudeville ones were like... Ah, I'm going to uh, unfavorably compare my wife's cooking to a soup kitchen. Like, there's a construction there, but this this shit's just like, yeah, in other news, my wife's a bitch. <laughs> so, uh, it goes on here. There's the ubiquitous notion that you can't say anything anymore. People seem to get really upset right now, said JoJo Sutherland toward the end of her set. No. no. The laws are getting changed because of the demands of emotional people. And you need to be really fucking careful because without realizing it, people are going to prison for pranks. <laughs> Social experiment, murdering my friend. But, okay, so, like, obviously this is our, our, our competing, our competition in London. And they're all premised it's on the idea honest, of, like... I'm very worried. Very worried. It's premised on the notion that, you know, we're going to say the things that, you know, you, oh, we just can't get away with anymore. I'd just like to note, by way of comparison, that on stage in London, we did say that the royal family and 90% of the British ruling class are li- literal satanic pedophiles. It, it went over about like that, too. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Al- allegedly, I know the libel laws in this country are pretty, pretty strict, but for instance, you can't write that in a British newspaper. So yeah, um, yeah, you won't hear that kind of cutting edge humor at the uh, Comedy Unleashed. Instead, uh, yeah, like I just admit, like, the audience is just shouting out, uh, uh, "Do do the soy joke, <laughs> do the joke about soy lattes." You know, you know how fucking liberal pussies love drinking coffee with milk in it. Talk about your piece of shit wife some more. <laughs> she sounds like she sucks. But I mean, I, I just, I mean. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait till like ten comedy unleashed ends when they just like they're all indicted for making contracts to kill each other's wives. <laughs> it just devolves into that. It's just the wife murder club. I mean, I just you know want to underscore just like how genuinely undangerous and safe every single fucking joke at that thing was. Like if James Dellingpole or Toby Young heard what we said about them the other night, they would try to get us fucking kicked out of the country like today. Oh no, not that. (laughs) Felix has been loving being in England, by the way. (laughs) So Toby, let's talk about Toby. Let's talk about Toby Young because, yeah. I mean, he's a, guy, he's a guy famous for a book called How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. And he keeps getting upset that he, that he does just that to everyone around him. But now he has sort of adopted it to himself that, like, it's, it's actually a sign of his persecution. And that, like, you know, he is, he's, it's a sign of his bravery, actually, that everyone he sees is just, like, calls him, yells wanker at him when they see his bald little head bobbing by. So... 
This is like someone's like, I can't believe you roasted Toby Young and didn't bring up this absolute classic article. So I'm going to do it for you guys here today. It is really special. In the pages of The Spectator, Toby Young, headline, The Day I Stopped Believing in the Friendship Myth. (laughs) The Day I Stopped Believing in the Friendship Myth. Only four out of ten pals turned up for my stag do. (laughs) Not in... (laughs) Not including the, quote, best friend who organized it. This is, this is really something. So he says here... Honestly, that's a better ratio than I thought he would be able to pull off. (laughs) Should we be surprised that friendship isn't always mutual? That is one of the findings of a team of researchers. Yes. If that happens, you should be like, oh my God, I need to reevaluate things. So he goes on here, he quotes some academic paper that will give like a, you know... I guess a veneer of seriousness for just this long, sad story he's about to tell. And he says, here, I can't... Massive self-own in the spectator. <laughs> the new scientific research indicates that I am actually cool, and it's everyone else's fault for being fake friends. So he says here, according to researchers, this news would come as a shock to most people. The students in the survey thought that 95% of the people they regarded as friends would identify them as friends, too. But I can't say I'm surprised. In fact, a 50% reciprocity score strikes me as suspiciously high. The the researchers cite another friendship survey in which the score is only 34%. That seems about right to me. And he goes, I haven't always been so cynical. Before I got married, I was a fully signed up member of the friendship cult. The friendship cult is where you get together your friends and you drink Kool-Aid, but there's no poison in it. You just love it. You're having a good time. Like many young men, I regarded my close friends as a kind of substitute family with all the accompanying ties and responsibilities. Because his family hates him too. (laughs) With all the accompanying ties and responsibilities. If one of them was in trouble, you did everything in your power to help them. And if you were in trouble, you could expect the same of them. As far as I was concerned, we had a lot in common with the mafia. <laughs> Hell yeah. This is, uh, That's another guy. It's like Kyle Smith. These guys who think they watch mafia movies and they're just like, man, it must be so cool to have friends. <laughs> yo, yo, no bullshit, though. Matt is referencing a, a, like a, a New York Post cultural critic and uh, their movie guy, a guy named Kyle Smith. And he wrote an article a while back about... Uh, why, uh, like, why women don't get the movie Goodfellas or like the movie Goodfellas? It's just like, first of all, not true. And second of all, the, his point was, women just don't understand. Guys just got to have friends. <laughs> Who you will eventually stuff into the trunk of a car and shoot. Yeah. I don't think he got the point of that movie. He's like, they're a bunch of good guys. They're loyal to right each other. The they have fun and nothing bad happens. <laughs> well, what, like... In what does he elaborate on, like how him and his friends were like the mafia in here? Well, it's yeah. just like, oh yeah, we had an agreement. We wouldn't spit on each other. That's called respect. <laughs> Out in the world, people just call me bald pussy, spit on me, <laughs> uh, put books into my hands so they can knock them out of them. 
Not here. We have a code. Omerta. See, that's why I think he was so shocked for, to have such a light turn up to the party because he was like, I thought you guys were my friends. But it turns out that for him, friends are just the people who when he meets them, they don't throw garbage at him. <laughs> and it's like, dude, I just didn't have any on me at the time. I'm not your friend. Well, Felix, to, to answer your question, he says, uh, loyalty was the supreme virtue. With any other quality coming a distant second, you know, like humor, <laughs> cleverness, wit. Liking to talk, liking to <laughs> conversations <laughs> with, enjoying being around them at all. Uh, a just non-grotesque facial appearance. It was on my stag weekend 15 years ago that the scales fell from my eyes. So 15 years Wait a minute, now. he's been nursing this shit for 15 years? I thought that it just happened when he wrote no, that. No, he's like he's like the fucking uh, Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> oh, one of these days, I'm biding my time, but I will one day denounce you in the pages of the Spectator. Yeah. Well, cell phones are a dish best served cold. <laughs> he goes here. Uh, so he's, Toby has been officially friendless for 15 <laughs> years now. He goes. There were about ten people. I, there were about ten people I placed in the innermost circle, my own personal cosa nostra, <laughs> and I invited them all to Malaga a week before I got married. Or rather, or rather, my best friend invited them, having volunteered to organize the trip. He promised a whistle-stop tour of the most glamorous clubs in Marbella, and enlisted the help of a well-connected. You guys know what this guy looks like, right? You're just making sure. And enlisted the help of a well-connected local DJ to smooth our past. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what it says on his business cards? Well-connected local DJ. And this is like when a made guy, you know, goes to Japan and the Yakuza, they show him respect. Because there's a well-respected local DJ, men of honor, meeting each other. (laughs) We're soldiers. All going into the club to sweat in a corner while Spanish chads dance on the dance floor and intimidate us. But we have each other and Dometa. He goes, I didn't think of this as an opportunity for a final blowout with my nearest and dearest since it, since it didn't occur to me that I'd be seeing any less of them after I got married. Innocent that I was, I thought of marriage as adding another person to my intimate circle rather than the substitution of one for the other. Again, he must, he, must, he must love his wife. She must love him, too. I experienced a brutal reality check when only four of the ten honored guests appeared at the Spanish Hotel on the Friday evening. The no-shows included my best friend, the organizer of the festivities. He left a message on my phone explaining that he'd been held up by, quote, an emergency... It might be a few hours late. Needless to say, he never made it. But he'd fully briefed another member of the group, and he was more than happy to take the reins. Unfortunately, that friend didn't materialize either. Uh, we ended up spending the first night in an English pub watching West Ham lose 2 nil to Leeds United. Oh my, oh my God. 
It's like, all my friends are here. Dude, we're, it's going to be decadent. We're going to every club in Spain. We're going to be taking E. We're at the phone party. And then they just like end up like fucking just eating too much, getting tired and playing Big Buck Hunter. <laughs> to be fair, that sounds fun. Yeah. It sounds way more fun than what they just <laughs> sitting in silence watching. A bunch of Spanish guys sweat on it, you. Yeah. I mean, what they actually did, like the Big Bug Hunter thing does sound fun, but yeah, they just watched like Clittingham lose to fucking (laughs) Hamville or whatever the fucking big teams are here. Uh, Next season in the series, hey, Toby, just sitting around like working up the courage to touch each other's shoulders to console them. About how hard it is to be a gooner. I think that's one of the things you do here. I don't know. Drinking, yeah, beer that you think's too cold because it's being served in another country. You're not used to it. So he goes here. The low point. God, we haven't even got there yet. Oh no. The low point was the activity on the Saturday. A scuba diving trip to some local caves, which my best friend had persuaded me to pay for, on the understanding that everyone would pay me back. (laughs) They might have to, too, if they'd bothered to turn up. Are we sure this wasn't just like an elaborate Ocean's Eleven-style scam? All right. We we get him to buy all of the scuba gear. Here's the twist from us. He doesn't know that we're actually the scuba company. And then we don't show up. That's business. So he goes here. uh, In the event, only three of us made the trip, with the other two refusing to get out of bed for the early morning start. It made no odds anyway, because the scuba instructor decided to cancel the dive at the last minute on account of the heavy rain. He gave me a partial refund, but kept the deposit, which, if memory serves, was around 500 pounds. (laughs) The perfect crime. As we puttered back to shore in the leaky fishing boat, the rain lashing our wetsuits, I had a moment of clarity. Yeah, and that was, it should have been, I am a cunt. Uh, my belief in the unbreakable bonds of friendship was a sentimental illusion. No, it's just you, dude. It's just you. The true test isn't when you're in trouble. It's relatively easy to stand by your friends in their hour of need. Although, come to think of it, plenty of my friends have failed that (laughs) test, too. It's, it's whether they're prepared to inconvenience themselves for your benefit, particularly if it involves getting on a plane and shelling out a few hundred quid. Turned out, 60% of the people I regarded as my closest friends weren't. Well, I think I, I, think I get it, though, because one of the things we talked about uh, on the last show when we were talking about Toby is that he apparently, his parents had to make a phone call to get him into university. Yeah. That's probably what happened with the friends. The parents called him up and be like, yeah, could your son just hang out with mine until he's about 45? Until <laughs> we get him married off. Ending up here, he says, in retrospect, it was a good lesson to learn just before getting married. After that, whenever there was a conflict between loyalty to Caroline and loyalty to my friends, I was never in any doubt about who came first. I highly doubt it was her. (laughs) Caroline is the dog. And there you have it. That's the story of how the six of us met. (laughs) 
So now that he's like, you know, pretty much lost every job. And uh, he, he, he did write another article recently about how no one invites him to Christmas anymore. It's like, dude, get a new act, man. Get some new material going on, Toby. But uh, one of the jobs he has landed, and by job, I mean like just sort of a charity make-work position for sort of a special needs person. And that is contributing editor to a magazine. If you don't know if you're this, uh, The Quillet. You guys like The Quillet? It's the for, fuck's well, a quillet. It's for it's it's something for very smart people. Okay, well, I'm but, aware of the magazine, but like, is that a thing? Is a fucking quillet an item? What yeah, the fuck? Uh, I think it's yeah. like, it's like a shaving razor or something like that. No. They want to they want to let you know like how fucking smart and sharp they are. No, right? it's a tiny pen. Oh, sounds cool. <laughs> and you know, uh, the quillet is. Uh, they're standing up, you know. They're standing up for standards, you know, against, like I said, the PC police and you know the people who want to dumb down education. The people with, who prefer feelings to facts. Yes, and Toby Young is a contributing editor, and I just came across this today. This is like, you know, this is the height of smart people thought. Head, uh, headline: A modest defense of the missionary position. <laughs> Written by I, Marilyn Simon. Okay. You know, no, I mean, like, you make fun of it, but the American media wouldn't touch this. Because Big Cowgirl <laughs> controls all of that shit. I'm really pissed because just yesterday I gave my broker instructions to short missionary stocks. God damn it. My timing's always terrible. So I, I saw this headline and I was just like dumbfounded. I was like, "What the?" Like, is, I wasn't aware the missionary no position conflict. was under yeah. attack. From yeah. <laughs> this doesn't even rise to the level of like animosity people might have about pineapple on pizza. Like, no one really gets mad about this. Yeah, exactly. Like, there are people who are, are right and hate pineapple on pizza. Yeah. Correct. Those and there are people who are wrong. It's disgusting. <laughs> oh, but <God>. also, <laughs> even if we were to write that, uh, you know, if we were to write that essay, it wouldn't be 10,000 words long. Not only have I never heard anyone condemn the missionary position as an act. The noble missionary position. I have never even heard anyone in the, you know, feverish social justice hothouse of online say that it's colonialist to call it that. Like, I've literally never heard anyone say anything bad about it. Who is he talking about? Well, now you're giving them ideas. Yeah, do not, no one take that idea. We do not need to infect the fucking bloodstream of the internet with that, please. Wait, is this by Richard Dawkins? <laughs> so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start reading this. Uh, it says here, in our culture of sexual permissiveness, of free and open pornography, it might do well to occasionally remind ourselves that the missionary position remains the go-to for the vast majority of us. I got news for you. I'm sorry. It remains the go-to for the vast majority of pornography as well. And he knows. <laughs> He's Ooh, laughing. Cell he phone. <laughs> I'm telling on yourself, Will. I, I was watching TV in England, okay? <laughs> After 11 o'clock, that's just what's on over here. That's true. We were in London, and we had the TV on, and we watched this delightful 80s uh, culture clash comedy, and then all of a sudden, there was uh, a softcore porn movie from the 70s featuring a bunch of nerd women who looked like they might have had co- cholera. I don't know. <laughs> At a time when sexuality and gender are being hotly debated in the media 
across campuses, high schools, and even primary school, my grade three daughter recently expressed anxiety about feeling pressured to decide whether or not she was bi, or rather B-I, as she called it. Oh, God, you're, you're citing the shit your three-year-old says to you? That's, that's a mark of uh, true shit that's happening in a story. <laughs> we sometimes forget that sex is also about actually having it. And for most of us... I, I don't think damn, we have no, no. I'm pretty sure... Pretty, pretty I'm sure. pretty sure I have sex-centered sex. Yeah, I think we're all very much aware of yeah. what it involves. It's right there in the name. <laughs> it's not like a semiotic confusion. Yeah. And for most of us, having it means that we're going to be in the very ordinary missionary position. At least for a good portion of the time. <laughs> I was like, we were, like, we were joking backstage about this, like, like, a, like a, a presidential candidate, like, like Barack Obama just comes back, like, for me and Michelle, it's back shots only. Only get that doggy style. <laughs> He goes, uh, it's true that vanilla is rarely anyone's favorite flavor, but nobody dislikes it. I don't. <laughs> there is much, of course, to be said for all the other flavors. By the way, uh, the editor of fucking Quillet shared this piece, and I looked at some of the comments, and people were like, brilliant, amazing writing. We need more of this. And then the other half were guys just like defending the mission, being like, hell yeah. Dude, I, I, lo- I love looking straight into a woman's eyes. Also, this is, a, this is supposed to be a defense of the missionary position and compares it to vanilla and then says, it's no one's least favorite flavor. Yeah. It's not a very good defense. Yes. It's not a very good defense from an attack that never happened. <laughs> there, uh, there is much, of course, to be said for all the other flavors, but there is something comfortable, something honest, and homely about vanilla. Comfort food. You know what? I, actually, I hate the missionary position now. It sounds awful. It's homey and comfortable. Yeah, that's Sounds like that's, mashed potatoes. It's, exactly. It's like, <laughs> baby, when I get home with you, we're just going to go, Ugh. <laughs> We're just going to kind of like glorb onto each other <laughs> while we don't take our eyes off the TV. Comfort food. As a woman, this is especially meaningful to me. In the post-Me Too third wave feminist climate, it often feels as though in order to be an ethical progressive woman, I need to search out and identify aspects of our society that are sexist, oppressive, unfair. Much of this takes the form of critiquing tradition, which we view as largely inhibitive and repressive. Pointing out oppression, raising consciousness is women's strategy for getting out from under the patriarchy. I don't know that you have to look around for that stuff. (laughs) You kind of find it. It finds you. (laughs) The future is female signals that it is our turn to be on top. That's, okay, I I get it. This person doesn't understand abstract language. (laughs) Okay, she's just confused. In this light, the missionary position might be read as an instance of masculine oppression. And sometimes it is. Women are literally pressed, after all, underneath the weight of the masculine will and power. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's cool. (laughs) <laughs> I know, Amber, you've said this before, but like, for people who went to grad school, the age of consent needs to be raised to 45. 35. For 40, yeah. 35, 45. Oh, well, I, I just said 35 for middle class people, 45 for grad school. They've clearly indicated they cannot handle it. I like to think that, the, like, uh, this woman's husband is just like, 
is just like a Thanos flat brim guy. <laughs> and she's just saying all this out loud. And she's like, you know, even though we're supposed to look for things that we find restricting, the weight of you on top of me is homely and nice. And he's like, damn, I don't even own a house. <laughs> he's just fucking some dolt. <laughs> Damn, there's other two ways to have sex? Word. Yo, damn, we got to try those. (laughs) So he goes, uh, to quote from uh, the magisterial work, The Second Sex, and it just goes on. I'm, I'm still scrolling here. It goes, if we believe these things about human sexuality and about the way we so often experience it, we might want to consider the behavior of the bonobo monkeys. Uh, First of all, lady, they're apes, not monkeys. Get it fucking straight. This is every article by someone who's like, I'm going to take an intellectual approach to sex. They've all read about the same monkeys. We fucking get it. Yeah, no, those are the fuck apes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Bonobos are the fuck apes. That's one thing people know about them. Yeah. But did she honestly call them monkeys in there? She called them monkeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toby Young, oh. associate editor, dropping the ball again, dude. Can there just be an article like this? Like, I'm not going to read it. Like, all these articles suck. Like, an Evo Psych professor's take on sex. Cool. But uh, if they just talk about, like, how orangutans jack off at the zoo, that would be way more interesting than this trite shit. <laughs> Why even write an article? How about just a video? (laughs) No, that should replace every article in Coolette. Like, funniest monkey sex fails. (laughs) Like, that would be so much more productive. It would make everyone's day better. It's just videos of like, oh, oh, look, this this chimp, like, starts jacking off when he sees a lady. (laughs) You little perv. This gorilla pulls a log out of his ass and eats it. Yeah. Look at this orangutan pissing in its own mouth. This rocks. He says, uh, the bonobo monkeys, the only other primates to regularly use the missionary Uh. position. (laughs) The bonobos are a matriarchal species, the only matriarchal primate species, including us sapiens. They are also an uncommonly peaceful primate species, again, including sapiens. This doesn't mean that they don't have violent conflict. They are primates, after all, but they do it less than the rest of us, and their sexual intimacy is, it seems, linked to their relatively low rates of violence. This shouldn't surprise us if we think of the missionary position not as something oppressive or without uh, reciprocity, but as the posture that lends itself to the most reciprocity because of the unique face-to-face nature. It is the position that has the most potential for eye contact, for intimate connection, for joy, as well as pleasure. I mean, I don't have a comment there. I'm just happy to share this information with you. She's just happy to gross out all our new friends. <laughs> so she's saying that, she's implicitly saying that bonobos are less violent because they use the missionary position. Yeah. yeah. But we use the missionary position, and yeah. we are incredibly violent. Yeah. Because the premise here is that we, like, stopped using the missionary position. And I need some fucking data behind that. No, Felix is right. Uh, big cowgirl has brainwashed us all. <laughs> big cowgirl and big reverse cowgirl have brainwashed a generation and made us into a, an even more violent species of monkeys. Yeah, certainly you're a conspiracy theorist if you call it out. But but just, just goes yeah. to show, like, they, they, the, the right wing complain about the left is that, oh, they just look for things to get offended by. I mean, I can't think of a more perfect example of, like, somebody looking for something to pretend other people are offended by. 
I mean, if you wanted to write an article about like to defend a sex act that's largely denegraded in popular culture, you know, like defend, uh, you know, a defense of '69 or something like that, <laughs> which people genuinely do seem to be like, yeah, that kind of sucks. No one likes doing that. Yeah. They, no one has ever said they don't like fucking. The, it's insane. What's going on? <laughs> uh, What's happening? I, I, I want to. I want. Uh, I want to write ten thousand words about how Blumpkins are like <laughs> evolutionarily significant. <laughs> Just every sex act that, like, Opie and Anthony or Howard Stern joked about, I'm going to defend in Quillette. And then I'll be the monkey sex fail video editor, <laughs> replacing Toby Young. A right. donkey punch manifesto. <laughs> so, wait. Uh, so, like, I swear, like, okay, like, so here is where I am in, in this piece right now. Uh, I'm going to scroll. Scrolling. I'm going to scroll to the bottom, and I just want you to see this. Oh, my God, lady. <laughs> It's, All this for it's something you imagined. <laughs> it's still going. Hey, oh my god! How many words is it? This is like the longest shower conversation. <laughs> I'm just gonna read the end here. It says, "The ancient." I've, I've skipped ahead ten thousand words. This is where we're at the very last paragraph. The ancients writes Camus in the Rebel. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Even though they believed in destiny, believed primarily in nature, in which they participated in wholeheartedly. To rebel against nature amounted to rebelling against oneself. It is butting one's head against the wall. There is kind of a tragic heroism. Which she's also not into sexually. (laughs) There's a kind of tragic heroism in rebellion. And a kind of deeply human beauty in it. Rebellion, too, seems to be in our nature. But there is also a uniquely human courage in participating in nature wholeheartedly. She is with getting so wistful about getting pounded. It's really <laughs> uncomfortable. Wrap this up. It's like her husband either uh, has terrible dick or like the best dick in the world. It's <laughs> it not. It's one or the other. Way. It's one or the other. You don't write that much fucking stuff about missionary positions like, unless you're compensating for something or he's just like destroying your world every time. <laughs> the irony is that what we often consider the most boring, the most quotidian, the most comically old-fashioned and unremarkably ordinary way to have sex with, another, with one another is also the way we encounter our deepest selves because we transcend ourselves to find union with another. <laughs> so, anyway... Uh, Manchester, now you know where babies come from. <laughs> we've had the t- we've had the talk. We've had the talk with you now. Yes. I mean, hey, the the, the bees. You guys love that in this you city, the right? Well, yeah. Here, uh, they don't like the bees. Okay, apparently. No, no, the bees are good. Fuck That's, off. Sorry, fuck the bees. <laughs> Get rid of them. I'm glad they're all going extinct. <laughs> Well, uh, that was a joy to, to share that sexual experience with all of you. I hope yeah. you leave here tonight. In We're be- all married now. Yeah. Welcome to our polycule. I hope, Manchester, I hope you leave here tonight, you know, imbued with the knowledge that, you know, it is okay to have missionary position sex yeah. if you Don't want Don't let to. anybody tell you otherwise. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but... <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't have read that. Yeah, they're all riled up now. <laughs> yeah, we need. Is there a is there a way we can leave here that doesn't go through? It's yeah. gonna be like a hard the day's bonobos night. are all inflamed right now. <laughs> We're gonna be running out of the running out of the theater, being chased by everyone. Ah! <laughs> we want missionary. <laughs> but uh, 
Manchester, I generally want to say uh, you are absolutely one of the coolest cities we've been to on our tour. I'm not just saying that. Uh, you guys kick ass, and even more so, the person who kicks even more ass in Manchester is our producer, Chris Wade, the man who makes everything happen. Let's give him a round of applause. Uh, by the way, uh, I've been warned about the weed in this country. This isn't like fucking K2 or Spice or something. I'm not going to have a, a psychotic break if I do this. I mean, I'll just try it and see what happens. And uh, You'll I'll... end up doing missionary. <laughs> <laughs> I'll report back later. But once again, Manchester, the dance house. Dance hall? Dance house? Okay. Where? Dance house. Manchester, the dance house. Thank you guys so much again. We are Chapo Trap House. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Thank you. Cheers, guys.